Coming up on golf today, Finau or the field? It's Finau by a field goal in Mexico, beating John Rahm and everybody else. A closer look at how big Tony keeps getting the job done is coming up. And all roads lead to LACC. We'll chat with Gil Hance at U.S. Open Media Day and find out what design features we might see in the national championship coming up next month. And our West Coast theme continues with a visit from Danielle Kang ahead of the International Crown in San Francisco. Can the U.S. put the pieces together and finish the week on top? Questions to be answered on Golf Today. Golf Today. Able to get it done, finished at 24 under. And who's bogey free 66 for his sixth win on the PGA Tour. And four of those victories have come since the Mexico Open last year. He's won the 3M, the Rocket Mortgage Classic, the Cadence Bank Houston Open, and then again yesterday, the Mexico Open at Vedanta. And afterwards, he talked about how this event last year moved him forward. This tournament um, propelled me, I think, into the season that I had last year. This was the first high finish that I had all season in my season last year. I was playing not very good golf, and then I make a run on Sunday, and after that I played great golf throughout the rest of the season. So um, to get this win was huge, and hopefully it propels me to do more great things as the season unfolds. How different has it been for you since that five-year gap of you know not having a victory and then coming out and doing that? Yeah, I just I just think it just says that I learned a lot, you know, in those. Um, on Sunday out here, I've learned that you just have to be, you have to be aggressive. You have to make birdies. Guys are going to make birdies. There's so many great players, and especially if someone of Rombo's stature, you know, Brandon Wu played amazing, you know, today. Um, and so you got, you got some of these guys that can go on these birdie runs. And so my mindset on Sundays, I think, has just changed. You know, I, you, never, you never get comfortable with the lead. Um, that's my nature anyway, yeah. is to be an aggressive player. I always have been that way. And, um, and so Sundays are starting to shape up um, better for me since I've been in contention. But I think I just have learned a lot. Yeah, Tony Finau wants the ball in his hands in the clutch. Take a look at his performance splits. First 188 starts, just the one victories. Last 41 starts, five victories. Better top 10 percentage. Better miscut percentage. Just missing the cut, 146 percent of the time and Amy when I think about this player it was a conversation I had with him in the spring and he said he's just waiting for the the putter to wake up he said his ball striking quote is as good as it has ever been and we saw a few of those key moments with John Rahm breathing down his neck the ability to kind of keep the momentum going this was the eighth hole he missed the green had a pretty mediocre bunker shot to here and able to save part I've mentioned already just just kind of owning the golf course, walking the golf course with such confidence. Tenth hole hit a very aggressive birdie putt. Had this left for par. Back of the cup, putting with great speed and with great confidence as well. So to hear him say that the putter to him was kind of the last piece of the puzzle in this season where Scotty Shuffler is going crazy and John Rahm is going crazy and Max Homa is going crazy. How fun to see Tony Finau go crazy and win by three. Yeah, six for six scrambling out on the golf course yesterday. And when you look back at Tony Finau a year ago versus Tony Finau now, I mean, he was one stroke back of John Rahm last year. He wins by three over John Rahm this year. And in most statistical categories, he was 
pretty much evenly matched with where he was last year, but there's one that we can take a look at that does show a significant difference. That last line there in putting. Last year, you can see or on the right, he was ranked 60th in the field in the Mexico Open in putting. This year, he was ranked 8th, and that's really the key difference in terms of Tony Finau, because you don't see a great deal of movement in all the rest of those categories. And that's, in a way, reflective of Tony Finau's season, to an extent, Damon. The, you could make the argument that this result shouldn't really be a surprise, given even though he's only had one top 10 finish and you got, had to go all the way back to the Farmers in January to get that. But the ball striking has been there. He was fourth on tour in strokes gain total. He was fifth on tour in strokes gain tee to green before he even got to Mexico. So he had the identical picture of a really solid guy that you would expect to contend and win more often than he actually had this year. So the game was there. Mm. The results were not. This was not a designated event, but one thing Tony uh, <coughs> told me when we spent some time together at Bay Hill walking in a practice round was that the designated events have gotten the attention of the best players in the world, that he believed because of those <coughs> events that we're going to see some rivalries and start to see the same players week after week that'll kind of carry the thread of the season. And we've seen that a lot. Max Homo we've seen quite a bit. John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, and Tony Finau kind of wanted a seat at that table as well, did not want to be left behind. And what kind of statement is it when you're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best player in the world and you're answering every chess move that he makes? There's, there's always going to be this rap against Tony Finau. And we could see a little bit of it yesterday in the commentary after this that would suggest he doesn't win often enough against the strongest fields. Of his six victories, the, the Northern Trust was a playoff event. The field was as strong as it could get out there. But the others he's won, like the Rocket Mortgage Classic, the 3M, even the, the uh, Cadence Bank Houston Open in the fall, didn't have the strongest fields. Mexico didn't have the strongest fields. But you know what? He had one guy he needed to beat yeah. who was demonstrably the best guy in the world right now. By a country mile, he's the best mm. player in the world. And Tony Finau took him on over the weekend, and he faced him down. Yeah. Tony Finau has been changing the narrative about where he stands in the game, but one consistent part of the narrative has been family. He's got family with him, you know, during his road trips. This was tweeted out yesterday. Tony just won four hours ago and is back out on the par three course caddying for his kids. Tony Finau is one of a kind. Great to see some family time after win number six for Tony Finau. Again, bogey-free final round, 66 24 under par, good for a three-shot win over the number one player in the world and Masters champ John Rahm was a great Sunday duel seeing Tony Finau get the job done. And afterwards, John Rahm talked about how his work is not yet done. Even as someone who's the number one golfer on the tour and has won so much out here, how valuable is it to have this experience continuously being in the hunt on Sunday like you were? Yeah, yeah, I mean... It's a great reminder that what you've done means absolutely nothing. You still have to go out there and do it. So it's, uh, it's also good so you don't, <laughs> you don't think too much of yourself, right? Like, I, obviously, I wanted to win, but it's a reminder that everybody out here is a great player. And, and Tony came up with a two-shot lead and played fantastic golf, right? I feel like had I been able to pressure him a little more, we might have seen more birdies from Tony. So um, it's, like I said, a great reminder of what I still need to do to be able to, to keep winning tournaments. And if you ask me, that's almost a blessing in life to, to know that, you know, the, the work is not really done, it's never done. Uh, the search is ever ongoing. The path 
I believe Arnie said the path to success is always under construction, and that couldn't be any more true. So impressive in victory and in defeat is the world number one, John Rahm. So fiery on the golf course, so philosophical off the golf course. He tends to reach back a lot to refer to Always. his old mentors and Seve, inspirations. Arnie, Jack, Tiger, he knows the players who have, have laid the path before him. And he also has shown, I want to say the word humility. There's a humility in John Rahm as well. Yeah, he's obviously got some cockiness and some brashness and some fire, which we love. But there's also just this a little bit of humility there as well and that the work is not done and that he's not going to, you know, fall asleep and, and, and just and let others pass him. I, I love the fire and the perspective that he brings because he knows that in order to be the best, you can't ever rest on your laurels. You don't know who's watching him for the first time. He never wants to be there and, and you know, and, and make a bogey or, or like a, a great violinist or a cellist like Yo-Yo Ma. Not going to have a bad night at Carnegie Hall. You're always going to bring your best. Doesn't always mean you're going to bring home the trophy, but you're always going to bring your best. He does seem to have a terrific awareness, particularly of his role in the game and the responsibilities mm. that that comes with and, and the burden of expectation that comes with that. And we just saw in his results, you, he's matching that burden. He's stepping up to it all the time. And how refreshing is it, in, given what's going on in this game over the last couple of years, that the guy who has set the greatest money total won on PGA Tour history, by April 30th, he set that record, and he seems to be the guy for whom it means least. Yeah. That it, it's just simply not relevant to where John Ram sees his place in the game or what he's attempting to achieve. I'm sure it's nice. I'm sure John lives a very nice life out in Arizona, but it's clearly not what is driving him to be number one in the world. Yeah, the greats across sports, the tippy-tippy top of the mountain, they play for trophies, they play for the competition, and all of those accolades that come later uh, is really kind of well down the list on why they want to be great in their respective sports. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. We're back on golf today. On Sunday at the JM Eagle LA Championship, Australia's Hannah Green became a winner once again on the LPGA Tour after surviving a three-hole playoff. The win marks her first on the LPGA Tour since 2019, and afterwards, she spoke with our Karen Stupples. It's been a long few years. I know I played really well last year, but 
getting across the line has been really difficult. So I'm really proud of myself for hanging in there because I really didn't think that I'd be in it with the how I was playing and making so many parts. So yeah, I'm just obviously really happy, but the other emotion is coming out right now. Uh, you got me going too. I mean, this is we, we see you always that cool and calm. And at what point today did you really start to believe you had this chance? I knew you didn't need a low score today to win. Um, I feel like this weekend played a lot different to the first couple of days. So my caddy just said, stay patient. Um, you know, you always try and do that, but it's, it's harder said than done. So I'm just really proud um, of holding that putt in regulation on 18 and obviously the putt last couple of holes. I heard everybody around you, they're calling for a shoey. Will you be doing a shoey? I mean, I guess I have to give the fans what they want, right? But I wish I had new shoes. <laughs> well, many congratulations. You thoroughly deserve this. Well done. Thank you. Well, we're joined now by my golf week colleague, Beth Ann Nichols. And we should explain a shoey, I believe, means downing a beer poured into a shoe. Beth Ann, you were there. Was there a shoey? There was not. Her shoes were, were still on her feet and perfectly dry when she came to talk to us later. She was kind of hoping her caddy would do it for her, and I don't really blame her. <laughs> well, you certainly don't want to drink a beer out of someone else's shoe. <laughs> what was your reaction to Hannah Green breaking this drought, Bethan? <laughs> well, you know, obviously her first her first title was a major. So, you know, when you, when you ask a player to, to compare and where this ranks, she actually said that this one she felt was just as important. And this might be the one that might actually open the floodgates for her because it had been such a long, a long time. And when we all think back to 2019, so much has happened in life. I mean, the world has changed so much. And, you know, going through COVID, so many different things, especially for international players, being a long ways from home, you know, it wasn't the the, the comeback year that she was expecting and follow that 2019 season. But the thing that the anecdote I love the most from, from Hannah yesterday was that it's interesting that before every one of her wins, she actually missed the cut the week before, which is what happened at the Chevron. She missed the cut. And so she decided to have a phone conversation with the LPGA sports psychologist. That's, that's new to the team, free to players, part of the staff now, just to kind of get another another you know idea of what of, of what someone might think because it's been such a long time and she said they talked a lot about her post-shot routine which isn't something that that we typically hear players talk about usually it's the pre-shot routine but she said when, when she she hits a bad shot she actually carries her club that she just used all the way to the next ball usually uh, to her ball as if she's carrying that that poor shot longer than she needs to she's holding on to it whereas when she hits a good shot she typically hands her club straight away to her caddy so so she obviously didn't hit that many bad shots this week because she won but i just thought it was a really interesting uh mindset approach of just letting go of the bad shots giving yourself some grace what a great anecdote and some insight into the mental game of golf how about nelly Corda bet there nice week for her tied for sixth in la you got some more details on her caddy situation what can you tell us yeah, well, I'm sure if, if you watched the coverage, you would have noticed that her regular caddy, Jason McDean, wasn't there on the weekend. And there was some good news and that he got a surprise phone call Saturday morning from his wife, Carolyn Masson, who, of course, is a an LPGA winner, has played on the LPGA for 10 years. And she, she gave birth earlier than expected to a baby boy. And all is well. Jason rushed home to, to be with them, and, and she had her... Her sister's caddy, uh, Kyle Morrison, on the bag. Jessica Corda's uh, caddy for for the weekend, and he'll caddy for her this week as well at the International Crown as Jason and, and Caroline and enjoy their bundle of joy. <laughs>
Bethan, you've also broken some big news going on at the International Crown. It sounds as though Team England has some musical chairs going on this week. Yeah, I got to tell you, I was pretty shocked when when I got word on Saturday that that England's two top players, uh, Georgia Hall and Charlie Hall, of course, two great friends uh, who are ranked inside the top 20 in the world right now, that both of them had withdrawn on Saturday from from this week's international crown, which, you know, <laughs> really left LPGA officials scrambling. And of course, you qualify for this team off the Rolex ranking. So when you go down the list, you have to go. Basically, almost these two players that they that are going to represent Team Team England now are their average ranking is 200 in the world. Alice Houston and Liz Young, both players on the Ladies European Tour, who were in England at the time, having to 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 catch a flight and and rush over here, assuming they were going to have to get uniforms for these players, get their caddies over here, just a complete uh, t complete turnaround. And Team England goes from a team that that you would think could actually contend for this title against the likes of the South Koreans and the Americans to, to probably not a team that you're going to pay that much attention to in terms of contending. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge blow. And I caught up with both Georgia and Charlie yesterday at Wilshire to find out what happened because of, of course, both of them made the cut and were competing in the final round. And, and Charlie said that she, she just hadn't been feeling well lately and she wanted to go back to England and, and see her doctor and, and, and that she would be back in three to four weeks. It was a very short conversation. She was heading off to, to catch a flight. And as for Georgia, she said she's been dealing with some uh, pain in her left foot from, from running a, a 5K on concrete. She said an informal running just to stay in shape, but hadn't really properly warmed up beforehand. And, and she said she's been seeing her, her physio daily for it. And that the advice that, that he gave her was that she should take the week off and, uh, and heal and that she'll be back the following week after the crown at the Founders Cup. So uh, just really unfortunate timing all the way around. Bethann, this is the first international crown in five years. It's in San Francisco. No one can question what an athlete is feeling or going through, but just something just seems a little off in this situation. It just seems a, a little fishy or a little odd. Is this a bit of an indictment, considering this is supposed to be one of the kind of signature events of the year? You know, as you say, we, we don't know. We, we're not inside their bodies. We don't know exactly how they're feeling and what they're really dealing with. But the timing of it, it's just it's, it's a really bad look all the way around when when you consider how important this event is to the LPGA. You know, obviously, these players play in the Solheim Cup every other year and 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 have you know that opportunity but for for many of these other countries they that can't compete in the Solheim Cup this is a wonderful opportunity for them to be able to represent their country and it means a lot and the LPJ obviously lost their sponsor in UL and and got another one in, in Hanwha and you know there's just a lot to celebrate being at TPC Harding Park and and it's 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 really unfortunate that that this happened and 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 yes that the timing the timing is just rotten <laughs> It's also not the first time either of these players have withdrawn late from a team competition, so that will probably only fuel the speculation. Go back to TPC Harding Park here, Bethan. Stacey Lewis, the U.S. Solheim Cup captain, is on site this week at Harding Park. What is she up to? Well, as you know, this event does not have captains or coaches. So Stacy is there purely in a support friend role <laughs> to, to hang out with some of her, her Solheim Cup hopefuls. Uh, but... But yes, uh, Stacy will be there watching watching the likes of Nelly and and, and Lilia Vu and and I, I caught up with Stacy to talk to her a little bit about Lilia because obviously you know now she's a top five player in the world just won a major title and and I said you know Stacy we talked about Lilia last year but 
but what have you seen this year? What What's really impressing you? And she said that she actually talked to Lily after she won in Thailand and she had no sponsors, none. <laughs> she said, she, she, do you, what's going on here? Do you have an agent? And she said, you know, I actually just let my agent go and, you know, but, but you should have some sponsors. And Lily said, well, you know, I just figured that I just need to play better. And that, that was her explanation, which, which Stacey loved that. She loved that, that humble uh, response because she felt like this is a player who maybe doesn't really realize how good she is and that that's a great thing because it's going to motivate her to keep proving herself. And so it wasn't a, you know, this is what I deserve. This is, you know, it's a totally different mentality in terms of, of just this, this, this humble approach and, and this hungry approach. And so, you know, and of course, Stacey, as we all were, we're really impressed with how Lilia handled that playoff and, and just looked so calm on, on such a big stage which will be important in Spain. <laughs> Got the job done in Houston. Now, in June, the men will tee it up at LACC for the U.S. Open. But in 2032, the women will get their first chance in the U.S. Women's Open. What does that mean to the women's game? Well, I think it's safe to say that a lot of the stars of today will probably be retired or starting families uh, by the time the uh, the Women's Open rolls around to LACC. But for all the little girls who are going to tune in and watch the U.S. Open this summer, because, of course, it's been 75 years since since the USGA has had a held a championship here. So a lot of folks have never seen LACC. So uh, to be able to, to watch this championship and know that there's a time that the women will be competing here too, that this is a goal that young girls can have is so important. And of course, tomorrow media day uh, rolls on to Pebble Beach for, for the U.S. Women's Open. Michelle Wee West will be there. She's never played Pebble Beach before, so so that'll be fun. And, and that's it's another thing that I love is all these players getting to, to play this bucket list iconic course for the first time, you know, in, in the in the weeks and any, leading up to it. And of course, that that week as well for many of them for the first time. And fans will be able to relate to that. Those who are, are dying to play there and those who have played there before and have already checked that 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 off their list, they can in, they can revel in that with with players. L.A. to Pebble. That's my kind of itinerary. Beth Ann, thanks so much for the time. Enjoy your Monday. Thank you. All right, folks, when Golf Today continues, the man who led the restoration of L.A. North, Gil Hans, is going to hop on the program. What can the world's best players expect as we get closer and closer to the U.S. Open in June? Stay tuned. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Back on Golf Today, all Los Angeles, the Hollywood sign. About a three-mile hike up the Kahinga Peak. Oh, my UCLA Bruins, John Wooden, 
Jim Herrick, nothing better than a Dodger dog. And of course, Kobe Bean Bryant, five-time NBA champ. And if you like roller coasters, Santa Monica Pier, always good for a little thrill on a weekend summer night. Speaking of something beautiful, how about the 123rd U.S. Open headed to Los Angeles Country Club's North Course this June? Live from the U.S. Open on Golf Channel begins Monday, June 12th, and live tournament coverage begins Thursday, June 15th on Peacock USA and NBC. Oh, cannot wait to feast our eyes on L.A. Country Club, established in 1897, comprised of two 18-hole courses in North and South of five L.A. Opens from 1926 to 40, hosted the 1930 U.S. Women's Amateur, the 54 U.S. Junior Amateur, and the 2017 Walker Cup on the North Course is a par 70 layout that is 7,200 yards. And the man who led the restoration at LACC, Gil Hans, joins us today on Media Day. It's great to see you, Gil. I know you restored the course in 2010 with Jim Wagner and Jeff Shackelford. How'd the process begin in terms of finding pictures and articles with which to draw from? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it, actually, having Jeff Shackelford involved was the best thing possible because Jeff was, you know, the biographer of George Thomas. He wrote the history for Riviera Country Club and then you know, had all this great documentation and, and really had access to a lot of the, the resources here in Southern California. So when we asked Jeff to be involved with us, it was really an important part of the, the puzzle because it gave us access to all this information. And it also gave us a really good insight into to Captain Thomas and how he built golf courses and how he how he worked and specifically here at LACC. So we had our own in-house archivist and we also had another good set of eyes out there helping us with the project. Gil, George Thomas obviously famous not only for LACC but Riviera and Bel Air. What had been lost of the George Thomas original and what were you attempting to restore? How much of it could you get back? So, Eamon, we were actually able to get all of it back, thankfully, um, from the standpoint of, you know, Herbert Fowler originally designed the golf course, and then Thomas came in and did a complete makeover of it. So what we were focused on was the Thomas uh, design. And, you know, over a period of time, they had changed the second hole. They'd made it a par five from a par four. They had lengthened the eighth hole as par five, and they had moved the green on the sixth hole several times. So we were able to actually restore and bring those three holes back. So now the golf course is playing to the same routing exactly the same as Thomas had it. Uh, it was really, it was one of the more interesting things we ever worked on. It was more of an archeological exercise. We, we found underneath about 10 feet of dirt, the old sixth green, we found this dark layer and we had a really talented excavator operator. He chased it and found it and we were able to put back to, with a high degree of confidence, what we felt was the original design. So the combination of restoring those three holes in particular, and then repositioning, bunkering, trying to get the aesthetics the same. Thankfully, his set of greens had, had remained intact. So we had a lot of that to work with, but it was it was really an interesting exercise from that standpoint of trying to restore those, those three holes in particular. Gil Golf Digest said that the bunkering that you brought to LA North was more William Bell versus George Thomas. How would you describe your thought process with the bunkers in particular? Yeah, if we took any liberties, it was with the bunkering, uh, because the original design, the, the original Thomas bunkering wasn't quite as evolved as, as his work later became when, when Billy Bell became more actively involved with him. We saw this great evolution stylistically. And so our thought process became, can we look at and kind of almost capture the, the high point of, the, of Billy Bell, George Thomas bunkering, and put that back on the golf course here, since we were restoring... Uh, the character of his golf course, we felt like it would be probably a little bit downplaying his talents if we, if we stuck with the original bunker presentation. So 
through a fairly exhaustive process of doing research and trying to figure out because they they really like to uh, emulate erosion. And so I think what you're going to see when you see the golf course play, this is a more eroded look and more natural look with combines different grasses from the rest of the golf course. So it's a very evolved look for Bell and Thomas, but you're right. It's not specifically or exactly George Thomas, but we feel like once he partnered up with Billy Bell, that his style improved dramatically as they, as they worked further and further into his career. The closest thing you've had to a dry run before this open gill was the Walker cup in terms of seeing elite players take on the work you've done. That was back in 2017. What were your takeaways from that Walker Cup? And did you adjust anything based on seeing how top elite players will perform on the golf course? I think we, we added a few tees. Uh, even though those guys hit it a long way, uh, we thought there were a few opportunities where we could add a little bit of length to the golf course. But, uh, you know, I think the thing that really resonated with us, and, you know, and then obviously that's match play, so it's a little bit different. You know, we're not really focused on scoring when it comes to the Walker Cup, and here there's a little bit more of that element, uh, you know, in, in the decision-making. But the key, the presentation of the Walker Cup, you know, Chris Wilson, the superintendent and his team, it was perfect. I mean, it was firm. It was fast. The golf course really played a lot of the contours and the undulations and the fairways that are a key defense of this golf course uh, really sparked to life with that type of conditioning. And the expectation is we'll have that here. You know, hopefully the weather will cooperate as it, you know, it's fairly predictable in this part of the world, although this winter it has been anything but predictable and it's kind of overcast and a little bit rainy today. So I think we're, we're hoping that we get the traditional sort of June gloom in the morning and then drying out in the wind in the afternoon. So I think the firm, fast conditioning was what, probably the best thing that came out of the Walker Cup was showing us the defenses of the golf course when, it, when it's presented that way. Gil, I remember talking with you about the country club and the chocolate drops, the mounds that you'd see at Brookline. What are some design flourishes that the viewers can look forward to seeing in June? Yeah, I think a couple of the greens in particular are, are really uh, very interesting shaped. You know, the third green, uh, the fifth green are, you know, have been described as sort of extracted molars. You know, you've got these sort of prongs of, of the roots of a tooth kind of sticking out. And I don't know whether they're going to opt to use any of those whole locations. But I think the, the greens are a little bit more eccentrically shaped. The, the 12th green is another example. You know, since now a lot of photography and a lot of presentation on television is taken from with an aerial perspective, which I think is is great, you'll start to see some some more eccentrically shaped greens, which you know led to Thomas's whole belief. You know, he, he created this courses within a course concept uh, that is just fascinating, where you basically link T spots with hole locations. So if you're going to play the third hole to one of those really um, extracted tooth hole locations, you're going to play from an up tee. And so he created, and I think the eccentricity of the greens allowed him to kind of create these angles and create these different options and the ways to play. So I think green shaping, contour, you know, the outlines of them will be something that's very different from, from what people are used to seeing. Yeah, I think when a lot of players hear you referring to extracted teeth in the context of a U.S. Open, they're going to be thinking of that old dental torture scene in the marathon movie years ago. For years, we've heard about this concept of a U.S. Open player and what the test was in terms of driving the ball accurately, making those testy six-foot putts for par. Is that the kind of test that we should anticipate from LACC, or does the course play firm enough and fast enough to lend itself to a different kind of setup? Well, we're definitely going to see a different type of setup. Uh, you know, you, you've got two things working in that favor. You know, this, architecturally, this has always been a wide golf course. Thomas preached and 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 really truly believed in angles being an important part of design. So he wanted to give you the opportunity to get way left or get way right. You know, 
to create a test, a true test of golf for, for today's players, you're going to see some fairways have been narrow, but primarily on the shorter holes. Most of the holes are left exactly as Thomas had them. And so from that standpoint, you're going to see wider. But the other part of it is, is you're going to see a different rough. Right. I mean, there's not U.S. Open course where, you know, the, I think in recent memory where they have Bermuda grass rough. Right? Pinehurst is the only other golf course that has Bermuda grass, but there's no rough there. And so I think what the presentation of this golf course, if we can get the rough dried down, if we can get it to a place where a lot of the balls are going to drop instead of sitting up on top of the, the Bermuda grass, I think then you're going to see a really different test than they're used to, to playing out of. So wider fairways firmer, a lot more contour in the fairways and controlling your ball is going to be important. But if the ball does wind up in the rough, it's going to be a di very different examination from a U.S. Open standpoint. Gil, success will mean something different to, to, to everybody come Sunday evening, to Colin Morikawa, to John Bodenhammer of the USGA, to the members of LACC. What's the successful U.S. Open going to be in your mind? I've always been focused on the champion. I think it's the most important thing. And I think the the way that great golf architecture is identified is by having great champions. You know, I, the winning score is just so dependent on setup and so dependent on conditions and wind and weather uh, that I, I don't ever really put a, a value or a high value on the score. I always put a high value on the champion. So in my mind, it's a successful U.S. Open if we've introduce the world to George Thomas's architecture and that the golf that's been played on his architecture has been thoughtful and compelling. And on Sunday evening, you know, there's the champion who raises the trophy is, is truly a worthy one and one that, you know, the club will be incredibly proud to have represented, you know, throughout the rest of history. And that U.S. Open is, of course, just one week, Gil. You have a different audience the other 51 weeks of the year. And you have restored other high-profile golf courses that had majors coming winged foot. For example, where do you find this balance between testing the best players in the world once every decade or so on that golf course versus what the members want and need the rest of the time? Eamon, in our minds, and Jim and I have really, we believe strongly in this, is that we trust the original architect. Um, you know, here we trust George Thomas at Wingfoot, we trust Tilling Hanson at Marion, we trusted you, Wilson, that what they did, and by our restoring it, you know, they were focused, they were so good at what they did first and foremost, but they were focused solely on golf and that what creates a good test of golf, whether it's for a 20 handicapper or a scratch golfer is something that's been consistent from day one in golf. It's just the, the quality of the golf course, the quality of the challenge, the ability, you know, to, to play away from trouble if you want to, and the ability to play through or over trouble if you need, if your, your game allows you to. And I think all these great architects just embedded that in their golf courses. And what we focus on really is more just restoring it and trusting that they got it right, as opposed to us imposing our sensibilities or what we think is, is right or wrong. And, and it's been an interesting, very interesting perspective because we take that into our restoration work. And then when we take do our own new courses, it becomes a completely different thought process. So it's one that's very enjoyable to us. But at the end of the day, it's just trust, trust those original architects because they were really good. Gil, I know you're as excited as we are looking ahead to the 123rd U.S. Open. Thanks for the time. Enjoy Media Day. Thanks, guys. Always good being with you. Well, let's take a look at U.S. Open local qualifying results as players try to qualify for Golf's Longest Day presented by Titleist. And a nice storyline out of the Golf Association of Philadelphia's Country Club of York qualifier. You see the name Will Weirs as Arnold Palmer's grandson. He quit his software sales job a week before his U.S. Open local qualifier to pursue golf full-time as he intends to turn pro. 
And the Kid Club of Palm City qualifier took place on April 27th. Andy Pope has earned a spot in the US Open through qualifying five times. And in three of those cases, he got through both local and final qualifying. You also see the name there of Olin Brown Jr. as the son of three-time PGA Tour winner Olin Brown. Jr. has nearly 20 wins on the minor league circuit, as well as having made roughly 60 starts combined on Corn Ferry, PGA Tour Canada and PGA Tour Latino America tours. And he knows very well the magic of Golf's Longest Day. His dad nearly WD'd midway through the Golf's Longest Day in 2005, but he stuck around, shot 59 on the second 18 to advance and went on to contend in that US Open at Pinehurst. And after the break, we'll turn our attention back to the LPGA Tour, the International Crown being played at TPC Harding Park and a member of the English team will be joining us. Bronte Law, coming up next. Welcome back to Golf Today. This week, the LPGA Tour is having the International Crown, TPC Harding Park. This biennial match play competition consists of 32 players from eight countries and you can catch live first round coverage Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on Golf Channel. And Team England is going to look very different by the time Thursday rolls around. Golf Week reported this weekend that teammates Georgia Hall and Charlie Hull both withdrew from the competition. Ladies European Tour players Alice Hewson and Liz Young travelled from England on Sunday to round out England's four-player squad. Yeah, so they lose a little bit of experience, you have to say. You have Jody Ewer chat off. This is going to be her third appearance. Bronte lost second, but you mentioned Alice Houston. She's 172nd in the world, and Liz Young is 216th in the world. So you have to think that Team England have to lean a lot on the likes of Bronte Law. Let's take a look at her bio. 28 years of age, turned pro back in 2016. She is an LPGA winner, twice winner on the LET, great veteran of the GB&I Curtis Cup team as well, was number two in the World Amateur Golf rankings. Let's welcome in the UCLA Bruin Bronte Law from San Francisco. Bit of a different team this time around with Georgia and Charlie withdrawing. How much do you see this, Bronte, as a challenge to overcome considering their experience? Um, yeah, I think team golf is always, you know, so different than playing, um, you know, regular tournaments week in, week out. And I've been on you know, multiple teams in my career and always find that um, the thing that makes, you know, a team successful is often the members of the team coming together and working together um, and being cohesive. So um, that's the main thing that we'll be focusing on this week. We have a good group of girls um, and you know we're familiar with playing team golf. We grow up playing it um, and it's something that I really you know relish the opportunity to, to play. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the week. Is Team England in any way disadvantaged here, Bronte? I mean, Alice and Liz haven't had, obviously, a great time to prepare themselves for this. Are, are you already familiar with them from the LET? Uh, yeah, I know, know them both pretty well. Um, got to know Liz a little bit more than the last year or so um, after he won on the um, LET uh, last year, which was, you know, such a great achievement um, since she's been playing on the LET, um, you know, for a while now. Um, know Alice a lot from playing um, junior golf with her. Um, I've won the England um, European Team Championships with Alice, so you know we we know how to win tournaments um, in that team environment for sure. So, Bronte, as a player in the midst of a long season of stroke play, how much do you welcome a change in format to break up the stroke play routine just a little bit? 
absolutely. Um, any chance I can play some match play and some team golf, um, I will open it, you know, welcome it with opening hands. Um, it's always such a pleasure to play alongside, um, you know, fellow uh, English golfers. And um, it's something that I think provides an extra element of challenge that we don't see week in, week out. Um, and it's something that um, I really enjoy. I love playing, um, you know, head to head against other people, um, and no better, no better way to do it than um, to to do it with uh, an England shirt on. The game has been a bit of a struggle with your results over the last few months, Bronte. Does, does that kind of break away from stroke play give you something else to kind of kickstart or reset your season? Um, I mean, for me, I've been working on a lot of stuff uh, recently. Um, a lot of it's more mental. Um, my results might not show it, but I feel like I've made uh, big strides in, in that department the last couple of weeks. Um, I was really happy with how I performed at Wilshire. found that it was, you know, tricky on the greens, but, um, you know, overall, my game's definitely trending in the right direction and no better week to kind of build that confidence than be in match play, which is, you know, the, the game that I really enjoy. International Crown will be introduced to some viewers maybe for the first time. What do you remember the most about your experience from 2018 in Korea when England and the U.S. finished runner-up to the home team? Yeah, I remember it fondly. It was um, such a great atmosphere. Uh, Korea came out with um, all their fans and, and made it a really special occasion. Um, and I really hope that that the same happens again this week. It's um, it's a really cool concept and one that, you know, we're very grateful for Hanwha to step in and um, to, to bring back to the schedule. Bronte, we appreciate the time. Go Bruins and best of luck to Team England this week in San Francisco. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, folks, still to come on golf today. We'll hear from another player teeing it up in this week's International Crown. She's won six times on the LPGA. Danielle Kang will be part of Team USA this week at Harding Park. Back on golf today, the fourth edition of the International Crown will be held May 4th through the 7th at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. That's this week, folks. Coverage gets underway Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Golf Channel, one of the 18s you will see. Team Japan looks like a very tough squad. Six-time LPGA winner, Nasa Hatooka, LPGA True winner, Yaka Furue, and a couple of major champions as well with Nako Shibuno and Yuka Sasso. And speaking of Sasso, let's take you back to the 2021 U.S. Women's Open at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. Sasa beat her teammate Nasa Hataoka on the third hole of a playoff to win her first major and first LPGA title. At 19 years, 11 months, 17 days, she tied the 2008 winner in B Park down to the day as the youngest winner in US Women's Open history. And with that youth, she still compiled a pretty impressive bio. Now 21 years old, she turned professional in November of 2019. She has two LPGA of Japan tour wins and is currently number 35 in the Rolex rankings. We're pleased to be joined now by Yuka Sasso. Yuka, earlier in your career, you had represented the Philippines. Now you're representing Japan. Can you just explain to us how that change came about and if you feel any added pressure now representing Japan? Um, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm just very happy that I was able to represent Philippines and, you know, win the US Women's Open and 
now I get the chance to represent Japan, um, my dad's country. Um, you know, I don't think everyone can um, do that. So I'm just trying to soak everything in and um, get the most out of it. Yuka, you won your U.S. Women's Open at the Olympic Club, not too far from TPC Harding Park. What's it like for you being back in San Francisco this week? Um, it feels good. Um, just the weather, you know, it's a little chilly. Um, I'd, I'd rather have a warm weather. So, um, but yeah, it's good to be back, and I'm really looking forward to this week. You won a gold medal in the team event in the Asia Games back in 2018. Yuka, what is it about team play that you seem to embrace so well? I just really like it. You know, you usually play against each other, but, um, you know, you have this special week where everyone has to get together and, you know, work as a team. Um, I just seem to like it because um, I'm very close to everyone too. So, um, yeah, I, I like team event. You have a very young team. I think the oldest members of the team are 24, Nasa and Hinako. Who do you see taking on the role of leader, or is everyone a leader in your mind? Um, well, everyone, I think, has a say, but I'll say because um, Nasa has uh, more experience than all of us, and obviously she played International Crown um, before, so I would say she's our captain. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to have um, a lot of team meetings and um, talk about the preparation. Yuka, you're only 21 years old, but when you win a major championship at the age of 19, does that add expectations to you? And have you found that difficult to deal with since then? Um, no, not really. You know, I'm happy that I've won a few events at a young age, but I knew that it's not easy to win a tournament here in LPGA, which, you know, the highest, um, you know, tour in the world. So, um, yes, I have high expectations for myself, but at the same time, I'm trying to enjoy and learn every day and trying to get better. Yuka, we enjoy spending time with you. Love your golf swing, by the way, and best Thank of luck you. to Team Japan. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much, you guys. Welcome back to Golf Today. Here are some past results from the International Crown being held this week at TPC Harding Park. Back in 2014, Spain won, the United States in 2016, and then the last time it was held five years ago, South Korea was victorious. Take a look at the Team USA, the players who will make up, I would say, the favorite, the home team, 34 points total, four major champs. Let's just say it, Nelly Korda, Lilia Vu, Lexi Thompson, and Daniel Kang. And Danielle, a six-time winner on the LPJ Tour, joins us now from TPC Harding Park, a little walk and talk. Danielle, what are you up to on this Monday? I, I'm playing a practice round right now. Um, I'm kind of overlapped, so... We have some people holding the phone, and I'm hitting as we go. Well, listen, there's, you're the only team with four major champions on the roster, including the most recent in Lilia Vu. How would you describe the strength of your team? We have some great players on our team. I've known Lexi and Nelly for a long time. We've traveled, you know, to Olympics together. We've played multiple Solheims, and 
Lilia is newer, but she's right there. She just not drove me by about 40 yards. And she's been playing great. And I'm really excited for what's to come this week. And I've been really looking forward to international craft. Danielle, you mentioned having played Solheim Cup previously. You have a lot of team golf experience. Is it I'm a the little... captain right there. Sorry. Is Stay it a little team. different this week to play without a captain or that kind of team infrastructure? It feels more like four individuals getting together to make collective decisions. I think that, you know, even having Stacey here, we have a good team dynamic. And the girls, I mean, the four of us really know each other pretty well. So uh, we don't really need a representation for us to be able to do what we need to do. And we kind of know each other's games pretty well. We play with each other, and I've seen Nellie and Lexi's game quite a bit. Um, the newest one, like I said, is Lilia. But I know that she's, I'm the shortest hitter on the team, but I'm going to do my best to keep up with them. <laughs> and then maybe I'll go first every time, so I'll give it whoever needs to attack the pins uh, during basketball. It will be a bit easier. If you need to hit while you're talking, that that's fine as well. But I, I want to ask you about oh, Stacy's. Yeah, wow. you can hit. Yeah, St Stacy's presence uh, uh, there this week. You know, talking to you guys, making sure this cohesion is working. What's it like to have her presence with you this week? It's really great because I love the camaraderie and I love the team vibe. So even having her come out here and tell us the statistics and what her ideas are um, for the future and for just giving us advice on how to approach this week. Um, it wasn't more of a, it was more of an advice more than like an opinion or what we should or shouldn't do. And I'm building on that. I'm really looking forward to September, which is the Solheim Cup. Um, so we've got two team events this year and I'm really excited to just be a part of it. Danielle, you were open last year about some health challenges you faced. Do you feel as though you're back at full strength now? And where are you with your game in that process? I've been a little titter-tatter this beginning of the year, but we're good, we're good, we're getting it there. Do you see Lilia way up there? Yeah, that's the drive. <laughs> Do you want to go ahead and take us through your process? If you want to go and hit a shot and talk you with your caddy. Process. Okay. Yeah, go, go for it. This is it. my caddy, Brad. I took his jacket for representation. Okay. All right. Zero elevation. Easy. Right. I reckon we just. So we're literally looking at 190. Five foot? Yeah. Finishing just a little less than. Okay. What's your club selection here, Danielle? We hit five wood. We're hitting 190. Um, Mr. Brad Beecher wants me to stay short of that right bunker, wins left to right. I'm going to aim probably right center of that left bunker, play a little bit of a cut. Have the wind take it and have a better angle into the green from there. There you go. A well-executed shot, Daniel. Listen, yeah. You were born in San Francisco. When you won KPMG, the headline of CBS Bay Area said, uh, San Francisco's Danielle Kang wins. How much of a connection do you still have to the city, as we call it? I absolutely love it here. Um, I, I feel like I have multiple homes. San Francisco is part of my home. Korea, Busan is part of my home. Westlake Village to now Las Vegas. I feel that I'm lucky to be able to say that. And I actually kind of teared up on the drive over to Harding Park was because it's... It's that nostalgia for me, you know? I think of my dad 
I went to his grave site last week and had lunch with him. Um, I went had a picnic before one of my afternoon tea times. And there's just so many happy memories here that I had with my entire family, my mom, dad, and my brother. And, you know, the four of us are that, you know, different now, right? And everyone's all grown up. And so every time I come here, I feel it's a bit more uh, emotional, I guess, than exciting or happy. It's more emotional for me, but I'm very... I feel like I can breathe. I don't know. It's the clear air. It's the that mist, right? Uh, that ocean wind coming in just makes me feel right where I belong. <laughs> How much familiarity <laughs> do you have with Harding Park as a golf course, Danielle? Because I'm assuming a lot of players in the field haven't been there before. So I... My caddy's going to laugh. I don't remember golf courses very well in general. I have to keep playing it throughout the week. So... My familiar, familiarity with Harding Park is probably the type of grass, the green, the poana, the wind and the coldness. That's kind of what I'm used to. Uh, so I'm excited to come back here for that. But the course layout itself, it's always different with, depending on how they set, up, set it up. And they set it up quite long, especially depending on how cold it is. I don't know if they're going to play it this long, but right now I don't, haven't had any clubs under five iron for nine holes. So... Fingers crossed they pull up the tees a little bit. Well, you obviously have to hit the shots, but can emotion and connection and love of a city be a, a 15th club for you, as it were, this week? Yes, I love that fans. I love that the fans come out. And when I go to L.A., you know, I had so many people come out from Westlake Village, Lindero, uh, Thousand Oaks and say, hey, we're so proud to have you represent us. I go to Busan, Korea, and they say, hey, you're the Busan Korean girl. And then I come here, and then San Francisco has my back, too. So those kind of support is the reason why I play. Everyone has different goals and ideas in mind on what they want to do. And actually, someone thanked me for being here this week, and I said, I wouldn't miss it for the world. This is something that's been on my mind for this entire year. I've wanted to be a part of this team. I missed out the last few years, even if I was qualified, unfortunately. But now that it's happening, I'm excited and I'm happy. And it's cool. You know, I know these three girls and the four of us are going to do our best to bring the trophy back home. <laughs> Golf swing looks fantastic. This was a lot of fun, Danielle. Go make the putt and best of luck to Team USA. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Sorry for the kind of chaoticness, but thank no you for apologies. making it work. This was fantastic. I hope we get to do this sometime down the road. Major championship winner, Danielle Kang in San Francisco. Folks, International Crown begins Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. If that's not a tease and invitation to watch, I don't know what is.